Hello, good morning, hackers. Good afternoon, hackers. Good night, hackers. I don't know. Wherever, whenever you are listening, this is the Hacker Noon Podcast. Welcome. I am very excited to talk to you, Sarah Day, today Ooh, about technical writing. So, Sarah, what is your official job title? Technical writing, technical writer? I think in, a, I think in our HR software, it says technical writer manager, which probably is not as linguistically correct as technical writing manager, which is what I actually am and do. Okay, okay, cool. And you work at LaunchDarkly, so I'm really excited to talk to you today about the editor- your editorial process and talking about the different kinds of writing, technical writing versus copywriting versus document writing. And then we, I want to talk to you about also hiring a technical writer and when that would come about. So I'm excited to get into that. So first of all, I am excited today to talk to you about editorial review because I am also a editor at Hacker Noon. So I've been doing this for about seven months now and maybe a little bit more at this point. And I love it. This is my first official editor job. I have worked, I have done like editing in the past as part of other jobs, but this is my first like a big official editor job. So when did you become an editor? I've never had editor as like my job title at, okay, a, yeah. at a place of employment, at least not in like tech, mm-hmm. but there's a component of editorial work that goes into publishing all forms of documentation, whether you're writing your own sort of first draft content and publishing it yourself or taking content from that someone else has provided, like an engineer or a support tech or QA person. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's one of those skills that you can certainly lean into in documentation and tech writing work, but it's uh, it's foundational for all of the work that we do. So I guess that's a long way of saying that I've been doing it my whole career to some, to some degree. Okay. Yeah. And I imagine, okay, so I imagine that like in a technical writing role, you have a lot of content that comes from the actual like developers or engineers that are very like tech speak and that's why i kind of picture editing as like a big portion of your role just because incorporating what the written content of the the engineers and then adding in like the proper grammar and decoding the technical speak is that part of your job Yes, for sure. It definitely is. And depending on both the audience of whatever it is that you're trying to publish and the product and the market space that you're working, you can choose to publish more heavily technical content or less technical content. So like, for example, the language that I would consider acceptable to use in, I don't know, a a piece of documentation about how to reset your password, because I would be assuming that people who need documentation guidance on how to reset your password are probably less tech savvy than someone who's like, setting up an SDK or making an API call for the first time, I would expect a lower barrier to entry in terms of like comprehensibility of the language that you use for a document like that than something that's here is how we open ports in our firewall. Here is how we set up a load balancer and more technical content like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what is your preference in terms of like level of technical aspects of writing? It depends on what you're writing. I always prefer the thing that is less jargony and more clear. Um, and more clear often involves using a smaller subset of like vocabulary, for example, or yeah. yeah. I 
feel like I need to ask you, what is your number one pet peeve when it comes to grammar and writing? Because uh, we have a lot of people that write for Hacker Noon. <laughs> Wait, what did you say? I said, I said, can I have two? I have two. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. We, I love you already know. Okay. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Let's no, go. So the first one is the passive voice. Stop using the yeah. passive voice. It okay. never, like, especially people, especially people who grew up writing American English and American science English have a tendency to use the passive voice because there is an idea in some types of writing that if you distance yourself or the subject from the verbs that you are using, it sounds more official and more clear. This is not true. The opposite of this is true. You were wrong. Your feelings about this are wrong. I'm sorry to tell you, but yes. yeah, this, there you go. Um, okay, agree. <laughs> The other thing is using, this is weird and, and like precious of me, but like <laughs> using sentence structure rather than formatting to emphasize important stuff in text. So for example, Ooh. if you start with a, if you start a paragraph with the phrase, note that this thing occurs, or it is very important, if you bury the sentence, like it is very important that you do this thing this way, it, it's going to get lost. Your reader, the way that a person perceives text information on a screen is very skim heavy and very like top down. And when you put a paragraph that's three or four lines in the middle of something, odds are a person is not gonna read every single word in that paragraph because reading on a screen is not the same as reading on a book. Like for example, I have our, the email that you sent me with our session notes in it from last week up in a panel next to the Zoom client that I'm looking at right now. And there is a moving graphic that I think is like the Hacker Noon, like green graphic. Oh, mm -hmm. It's just like constantly scrolling. I actually have to close this because it's distracting. But this is what reading on a screen is like because there's always, there's more color, there's more motion, mm -hmm. and there are more distractions than when you're reading in a book. And so people will write documentation with this mentality that every single word on the page is going to be read. That's not true and it's never true. But the benefit of this is that you have a lot more opportunities to get the reader's attention. So if you do mm. things like instead of starting a sentence with a note or saying it's critically important that instead you put it in a big box and you make the, or a big box and you make the box a color and you mm -hmm. bold all the things at the top of it. People's eyes are drawn to the things that look different on the screen. Mm -hmm. And so like rather than using words to indicate importance, you should be looking for opportunities to use formatting and structure. Mm -hmm. As you can tell, my cup of green tea just kicked in and I'm like <laughs> ready to go. I know. I love this because like anyone who is obsessed with wording, grammar, proper English will get so hype about this. <laughs> I know, and I don't want to be like dictatorial about it because like language, there there is no, I mean, the concept that there being like one correct way to do anything, in my opinion, anything in life is something that you mm -hmm. should investigate really, like it's not ever true. And I'm absolutely not like a linguistic totalitarian about things like this because language is evolving all the time. But like yeah. one of the ways that it's evolving is we are looking at how we, there are ways to present language that exists today that didn't exist 25 years ago. Like I put gifts in documentation. Mm. Like, you know, people 25 years ago were not doing that. I wasn't writing documentation 25 years ago, but point stands. Yeah. So we, we should always be looking for how we can evolve our use of language to best capitalize on the tools that we have to present the information that we want to convey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let me quickly tell you mine though. Mine, my number one grammatical pet peeve is when people use like a title or something and they say how to X, but then they put a question mark at the end. Like it's not a question. How to something how is, is not a question. question. How, how, is words, <laughs> how is words formed? Uh, <laughs> like yeah. why it's not a question it's a statement 
yeah, and don't get me started on like FAQs and troubleshooting and doc. <laughs> I'm super judgmental about them anyway. <laughs> but not totalitarian about it. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, uh, there are so many appropriate ways to convey information and often my opinions about them are right. That's all. Yes, yes. <laughs> A hundred percent. Yeah. To build off of what you've just said, Hacker Noon writers, this is a tip when you're contributing. There is a little quote thing in the editor where it like builds out a quote section. So like it captures your eye. So if you're going to put something important, put it into a quote because then people will look at that more. Plus, shout out to our Markdown editor, Markdown for what? It's our 3.0 editor and that has way more stuff in it that has like things that will build out content for you to capture your eye. So there's like little, yeah, like you said, there's like a little box that like makes the color different in there and like everything. So yeah, definitely all of our contributors check that out. But anyways, yeah. So I want to talk to you too about the differences between like technical writing and other kinds of writing to build off of more of what you just just said. Because yeah, when you write for a documentation, how does your brain think differently than when you're writing for like marketing copy or something? Sure. I think um, I have to preface by saying like I've never been employed as a marketing writer and like marketing writing is like a unique and special skill that like I is not is not any is not like superior or inferior to technical writing, but wants to achieve a different set of goals. So for me, when I'm working as a technical writer, my job is to explain the things that a product does including the limitations of the product. So I, I, I want to document everything that isn't readily available to see on a screen about a um, piece of software, including all of the warts, including the ways that like the interactions that are not super slick and the bugs that might pop up and the places where people like might have failures and in interaction. Marketing writing, I think, is a little bit more about telling like a story that that kind of brings the user's mind to the opportunities that they might be able to capitalize on by using software. You know what I okay, mean? Okay, wait. Are you saying that you're basically almost like the antithesis of marketing writing when you're like <laughs> talking about the things that like <laughs> could could well, mess people yeah. up? <laughs> so, like marketing writing, I think it tells the story of what a piece of software could do in ideal conditions and like the human needs that could be met by a piece mm -hmm. of software. Technical writing, especially because often you can't fully document something until it's completely built. And usually mm -hmm. like when you are building a piece of software, you're making technical trade-offs and considerations that might damage the overall user experience, even like temporarily, right? Yeah. Technical writing is about making the software easier to use. And that means you have to talk about the places where the software is hard to use. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 definitely. And yeah. it's software. So obviously you're going to have that no matter what it is. And every right. software has technical documentation. Okay. Can, can we talk about what kinds of documents you actually write then? I think I need to wrap my mind around this. Yeah. So what, for example, what, what I'm working on today is a piece of documentation for our early access program for basically there's a, a small group of customers you can opt into this if you want to through our sales site or through the doc site that get pre-release access to a limited set of features in exchange for feedback to us and this is a classic example of where technical writing and marketing writing really diverge right because i'm writing a piece of documentation that is intended to explain how a feature works, but the feature when it goes out to our EAP customers is not going to be what we call it like production ready yet. So it's not going to be, I, I can't remember exactly the difference between the EAP version and the GA version, but there may be some features that are not fully built out. There may be some parts of the UI that are not completely interactive. 
And it's my job to document those things and explain that they're not working yet, which is something you never see in marketing, right? Marketing's always like, look, it's beautiful and it's done. And I'm like ugly and it's getting there. But yeah, let's see. So I write product documentation, the kind that I just described. I've been doing a lot of information architecture work where I look at the entire set of content that's on a part of the doc site and try to imagine how to rearrange or represent it in a way that makes it more user-friendly and accessible to people. Let's see, what else have I been doing? Honestly, as a manager right now, I have been doing less writing and more working on hiring and OKRs, which I think is just part of the nature mm-hmm. of the piece of getting into management. Yeah. It's like less, less tactical short-term work and more yeah. long-term strategic work. Yeah. I, ha- I want to ask you about the range of people that are reading your work then. Yeah. What are their technical levels of expertise? It really varies. Launch Darkly more so than other companies that I've worked at because so much of our user base is developers. And we have a frequent like sales conversion pattern where a person will leave the company that they have been working at, like a software engineer will leave the company they've been working at, having been a user of Launch Darkly at that company and then go to a new company and say, hey, we were using this really awesome tool at my old company, we should buy it here too. This is an unusual sales mm-hmm. pattern compared to other places that I've worked. So the doc site has a ton of pre-sales impact. And we get a lot of people who are interested in, or like thinking about buying launch directly or is setting up a trial, excuse me, who haven't actually used it yet. And so because of that, we try to make our getting started introduction to launch directly docs like really front and center and really obvious and like easy to use. So we get a lot of software engineers reading our docs. Our SDK docs really heavily trafficked because that's another thing you need to do. Like one of the foundational parts of setting up LaunchDarkly in your organization is choosing and implementing one of our SDKs. And we get a lot of what I would call like users at companies who might have more buying power. So like product managers, VP director, like C-level employees, people Mm -hmm. who can actually decide, okay, we want to introduce, we want to enter into a business relationship with this company. Yeah. Okay. So I want to reframe my original question then to say, how do you, how does your thinking differ when you're writing for an audience that is more technical versus less technical? Oh, sure. Sorry, did I just walk over to the end of your question? No, that's it. More technical consumers of documentation, in my experience, tends to need less handholding in terms of the procedural steps to accomplish a task. Less technical consumers of documentation tend to rely more heavily on product UI and need, I think this varies from reader to reader, but I don't rely on the same set of understanding of technical concepts when I'm thinking about writing docs for a less technical person. So I may use more jargon or make reference to more like third-party tools or like software, I don't know, like coding techniques, for example, when I'm writing documentation for like our SDKs, because the audience for the SDK docs is extremely technical. When I'm writing our guides, like we have a section on docs.launchdarkly.com that is just titled guides. When I'm writing our guides, I assume that the people who read them are not necessarily going to have the same level of technical knowledge as a software engineer. So they might be somebody who's setting up LaunchDarkly for the first time. They might be somebody who needs to understand sort of some of the core principles of feature flagging and feature flag best practices, but through the lens of the UI that LaunchDarkly, like the actual platform provides rather than doing it through API calls or through an SDK. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds more like me. (laughs) Okay, cool. I think it's it's most people, right? Yeah, there's a reason that we build a big, beautiful web app because not everybody is comfortable working on the command line. And it's just a tool set. There's no hierarchy. There's no prestige to like being able to do it one way or the other. 
Yeah, yeah. That's why I think it's interesting to have such a varying level of like writing audience where you want to have incorporate like the technical aspects that people need to know, but keep it simple enough that like even someone who is like a junior level maybe or something would understand it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so I want to ask about the other kinds of writing jobs that you've had in the past. As a technical writer, have you had to bounce around a lot? I have, I mean, had to is, is like an interesting <laughs> term of, like, turn of phrase. I think a lot of people get into technical writing because they enjoy the flexibility of the work. Mm -hmm. Technical writing has a lot of contractors in it and yeah. is a lifestyle that works very well for many people. I, yeah. as a person who's more anxious, I like the security of having a full-time nine-to-five job. Okay. Um, and so I have certainly done plenty of contracting work in, in my career, but I've always preferred to have a full-time job, both because I like the predictability of it, but also because since I, I was born and raised in the Bay Area and my career really took off when I started working in startups, and I have really come to enjoy mm. the process of watching a company go from small and more intimate and more focused to something that is growing so explosively you have to like really um, aggressively rein in the things that you're trying to and I, I feel like lunch darkly is really we're really building up ahead of steam about a lot of the stuff that we're doing and it's pretty nice it's really fun mm -hmm. yeah. yeah okay I think by bounce around I've actually meant like contract yeah. work because I think in my mind as a, t a technical writer that I imagine you would be doing a lot of contract work for a little bit here a little bit there I'm just wondering about the landscape of being becoming a technical writer as a profession yeah yeah oh yeah I chose technical writing because I was like halfway through an English degree in college and realized I was setting myself up to go to grad school or be a professor and I didn't want to do either of those things and I also never wanted to have to make choices about the basic like Maslow's hierarchy stuff, where I lived or who I lived with, or just the kind of, I never wanted to have to choose between, that's a good way to put this. Basically, I wanted to make enough money that I could make a set of independent choices for myself rather than yep. having to rely on other people. And yep. I, technical writing, I think is a really good entree into that for people who don't necessarily have the interest in being like a software engineer. Yeah. I think that as a, a woman having to make those, having to announce that you have to make independent choices is like such a dub, like a man would never have to be like, oh, <laughs> okay. So, so, okay, we talked the first, the first draft of that answer, which I didn't say was like, I never mm -hmm. wanted to have to rely on my boyfriend to pay rent. Yeah. No disrespect to people who have partners with whom they have a single life. Like I'm not speaking against those people at all. For me, I, I was raised with a set of values that was very much do the things for yourself that you can and then help other people when you can. And yeah. my career choices have very much been around mm -hmm. that ethos. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's no such thing as an independent man because it's perceived that they're already independent. There's no such thing as an independent man or an independent person because we all live in a network of mutual support and mm -hmm. times, like mutual exploitation. Don't get me going on my like socialist, social justice rant here because I'll go. I had the privilege to go to college and I had the privilege to grow up in an environment where my mom looked at me and said, you can accomplish with your career, which you, you know, are, it's, it was assumed that I would have a career as opposed to having a career and also like getting married or and mm -hmm. only getting married and having yep. babies that kind of thing where was me too with that? Mm -hmm. i like what are a lot of technical writers female weirdly yes it's one of those mm -hmm. what we call like pink collar tech jobs 
where it's it's a tech job that like is heavily populated by like my friend and coworker Heidi Wirehouse refers to this group as women and people who caucus with women, which I think is really funny. There's like uh, there's a large population of women in technical writing, and there's also a large population of queer and like gender hmm. like, GFC like people, which I don't really know what that's about. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. okay because it's oh, technical writing is almost like a such a beautiful balance between like soft and hard like the hardness of like tech like being in the tech world and like the softness of being a writer i don't know yeah. like it's very like yin and yang yeah, yeah. i was at the write the docs conference like maybe three years ago and this person mm-hmm. named um, amelia abro which i think is spelled A-B-R-E-A-U, gave this wonderful talk about documentation as a care profession and drew parallels between the work of work that is largely done by women, people of color, and immigrants, specifically around like healthcare, right? Like in-home care, nursing care, medical care, and drew parallels between that and a lot of the like, what you call the like softer professions in tech. And the idea is that she was highlighting, I'm assuming Amelia's pronouns, I think she was a shooter. Amelia was highlighting the fact that all like all of society and therefore all companies exist in this network of mutually exchanged labor and this idea that this idea that at the top of a company you have like the rock star developer or the rock star ceo or whoever's going to space this week oh my god they're the person who makes the company work is mm-hmm. just it's just a lie like it's just not true yeah. um and I think that technical writing is definitely one of the like caring and support professions in a tech company. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, you both get sort of the satisfaction of seeing how seeing how much work goes into mm-hmm. making something that like really makes your makes your product really great or makes your customers really happy. But you also get to see all of the failures that can result in things like interpersonal mm-hmm. conflict or inconsistencies in communication or like failures in timeline and like just all of the mess that comes from a group of human beings trying to work together. It all gets like mm-hmm. boiled down yeah. into the caring roles for sure. Yeah. Where do you live within the organization? I want to I want to do a, a graph with my hands. Like an org chart. I so docs is inside the engineering org is a position that I feel pretty strongly about and to the point okay. that I wouldn't, I wouldn't take a job where they put docs somewhere else at this point. Because I'm, I'm like 12 years into my career and I can afford mm-hmm. to be all like fussy about where yeah, I Yeah, oh, for sure. So I get to be like a princess about stuff like this, right? Oh yeah, so docs is in engineering until we finally got big enough that I changed managers. I'm no longer reporting up to John Kodamal, who's the CTO, right? Because mm-hmm. at first it was just like, we need docs. And they're not going to be on an engineering team and they're not going to follow all of the engineering practices. So I guess they'll just report to John. Yeah. <laughs> now, now we're like a 300 person company. It's too big for that now. So instead, we, the docs team is inside an engineering squad called developer experience and developer experience among all the other things that they do maintains the technical upkeep of our documentation site and our writing tools. Mm-hmm. So if we have a problem with the doc site, it is as easy as jumping into a Slack channel with my team and saying, Hey, I, can someone help me fix this thing, please? Or this thing is broken and I don't know how to fix it. So it's a very, mm-hmm. it's a very convenient, very effective configuration for docs, at least as, as far as I work, because we have on demand, excuse me, we have on demand, like 24 seven nine to five engineering support for the stuff that we want to do when frequently at other companies, docs doesn't have de- dedicated engineering support. So they're artificially hampered by limited access to like tools, improvements and upgrades and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that the same team that a developer advocate would live on? No, our develop, I can't remember what we call them now. We had a developer advocate team for a while. And they've moved, I think they've moved into developer marketing now. So they're a lot more like outreach focused. 
So I, I want to rattle off the list of names of our dev marketing people because they're incredible. But like Heidi Waterhouse, who's at Wired Ferret, she's like a huge name in the tech community. And she is actually the person who got me to come work at LaunchDarkly because she was mm. like, it's a startup, but it's one of my grownups. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, who's our developer marketing manager. And they're just like, they're, they're very different from like the day-to-day -day work of our engineering squads because they are like in pre-pandemic times, they were on the road, like going to conferences and trade shows and stuff like that. Like. I think many weeks a year, whereas the engineering teams are much more about what are we doing this iteration, which is like a week long. What features are we building and shipping this week? What are we testing this week? And they didn't do as much like outreach to customers as our development marketing folks do. When did you join LaunchDarkly? Two years ago in June, so 25 months ago. Okay. And any, how big was the company at that time? It was 80 people, I okay. think. Maybe okay. 100 people, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And so were you the first technical writer there? Yes. Mm -hmm. One of our, one of our engineers built an internal hack week project. I can pull it up now. It's called the LB percent tool. And it tells me that 77% of the company started after me and that I am number one of two in the documentation department, which it helpfully illustrates and means that 50% of the department started after me. <laughs> so yeah. Ah, okay, cool. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And do you remember the first project you were hired? I was hired to manage docs on sharply.com. That was oh, okay. Just I, in general. Yeah. Like, like product project. Mm -hmm. thing. It was, it was, we need someone to do this. Okay. Yeah. So at what point then in an organization's life, would you hire a technical writer? If you have a customer facing product and your, if you have a product with customers and you have engineers who are working on making that product better, I think that you should not have more than 40 engineers before you hire a technical writer. Did I say that? So basically once you have 40 engineers shipping customer, customer facing features, you probably okay. need a technical writer because at that okay. point you're going to have content debt and technical debt that you need to have documented. Yeah. In okay. reality, no one ever hires a technical writer that early in my experience. Mm, um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And you came on at around 80. So that's about well, I mean, double. 80 people, 80 people in the company total, right? Don't hold me, don't hold me strictly accountable for that number. Yeah, yeah. As many as hundred, I don't quite remember. Yeah. But I think we had about, our sales team has grown huge in that time. So we probably had 30 engineers around then. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it was a four-year-old company, four and a half-year-old company. Yeah. But I remember in my sort of pre-interview conversations with John, he listed off like a set of problems that he was like, we need to solve these problems. We need to solve them soon, but we don't have people to do it right now. And so we're, we want to hire one person to do it. So for example, they were, and, and like, these are pain points that any company could hit that you could look at as like an, an assessment for whether you need to hire a technical writer. There was no consistency in terms of the type of content that was being published on their doc site at the time in terms of like style or basically like where do the screenshots go? The docs look like they had been contributed to by multiple people. And so they looked like kind of inconsistent and like sloppy. They were using a third party tool to publish docs that they were rapidly outgrowing. There were, there are like considerations for a modern documentation platform that like the tool that they were using, they just bought it and set it up and it wasn't doing, it didn't do all of the things that like a, an enterprise class docs tool needs to do. And there were, there was like a slowly growing amount of technical debt where people knew, oh, we shipped this feature last week and I'm pretty sure there aren't docs about it, but like, when are we going to have time to do that? We were already working on the next feature. Part of, I think probably for the first six months that I worked there, 
a lot of what I did was just bringing the docs that existed up to, I wrote docs for all the new features as well, bringing the docs that existed up to mm -hmm. a consistent quality standard and making assessments of like, where is our current tool set failing us and where is it helping us and like, what do we want to do about that? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Um, I have a question for you uh, that is, I don't know, potentially like a not a kosher slash awkward question. Oh, no, no. Okay. <laughs> is the earning potential of a technical writer good? <laughs> yes. Okay, great. Because that's what I'm thinking. Because yeah, um, everybody, like lots of people can write. Lots of people have technical skills. Not everybody has both. So I'm th like, I assume that the technical writers are in quite high demand. They are. And they're often, frankly, often, I think, undercompensated for the work that they do. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, a lot of how, a lot of how people like plan to pay technical writers, if somebody doesn't know what they're doing or like the role that they're hiring for, they will try to pay a technical writer the way they would like a copywriter or a writer mm -hmm. in a different like part of the org. And most technical writers who have been doing this for a while expect to be comped like at least in the same realm of conversation as a software engineer, like maybe mm -hmm. not with total like level to level parity, like I don't, but also there's, there's because of the differences between contracting work and full-time work, the hourly rate for contracting has to be higher because contractors don't make benefits, but often mm -hmm. people will try to pay a contract technical writer the way that they would pay somebody that they're like, I don't know, hiring to write listicles on some mm. website. I don't think let's do pays people anymore, but yeah. And it's just, uh, it's once, once you have been doing this for a while, you can really get an assessment of do the people who want to hire you know what they're doing based on how much comp they're offering. Mm. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Good yeah. to know. Good to know. Okay, great. And I, I guess, like, how did you start off? Because you went to school for English-related things. Sure. So yeah. how did you gain your technical knowledge to be able to write about these kinds of things? Yeah, this is another example of how the, this is another example of how much we rely on each other for successes large and small. Mm -hmm. The thing that really got me going in my technical writing career was having the words technical writer on my resume. Because like you said, it's such a, it's such a kind of unique and arcane skill set, especially outside of the Bay Area, that mm -hmm. when people need a tech writer, there are very few faces that show up when you like look for keyword search results on LinkedIn. In terms of how I actually got the skills to, oh, sorry. So the, the end of that thought was because a friend of mine who was working successfully as a technical writer had a um, contracting opportunity she couldn't take and she recommended me for it. I got a job, I got technical writer on my resume and the phone started ringing and it hasn't stopped. Ooh, okay, yeah. great, so, um, all right. Totally, like it was completely because of her generosity and her like capacity to think of me at the time that like got my mm. started straight up. In terms of how did I get the like skills to do it, I took some courses through my college's writing extension program, including science writing and business writing courses. And the UC system actually offers a technical writing certificate through, or did at the time, through a lot of them have it now, but at the time I was like, I, I did it I think through UC Riverside, but I know Santa Cruz has one, I know Cal has one, I know Irvine has one now too, I think, I'm sure Davis has one. And it was all like online, part-time, complete the coursework in 10 weeks kind of thing. So like a pretty, pretty low barrier to entry for somebody who was also working a full-time job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Do you know how to do a lot of the things that you write about? Okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> do I know how to? No. Like no. executing. Um, <laughs> no. Um, okay. 
One of the things I love about technical writing is that as a persistent, like curious and obnoxious person, I do get to learn something new every time I write new documentation, which mm-hmm. is, keeps it fun and interesting for me. But if you ask me about like setting up one of our SDKs, I actually have a to-do item to do that for the first time, like Ooh. weeks from now. And I've worked at this company for two years because it's okay. so much of technical writing is the capacity to learn things. And it's also just the understanding of the actual skill that helps you put words on a page in a way that other people will pay attention to and understand. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. This is excellent news for me to hear because mm-hmm. I feel like this mad imposter syndrome about being like a right like in this in between because I like I understand tech I can talk about it I like can write about it but I do it consider how that imposter syndrome is serving people who don't want you to succeed okay let me tell you like (laughs) I thought I'd felt imposter syndrome before and then I became a manager and I was like okay (laughs) I have no idea how to do this at all and I cannot ask my direct report like how's this going for you is this working well because I was just like that would be inappropriate yeah yeah um okay about imposter syndrome is that nobody knows what you're feeling with you right yeah yeah yeah. Okay. And your feelings here at all by saying, oh, you never really felt that's not what I'm saying. It's just like, oh. yeah, it's just uh, uh, like I can edit articles about Python and I, I, I don't think I could write one, maybe, but like, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I so I like understand a lot of things about it, but I can't do it. There's a reason that there are so many jokes about like copying and pasting code from Stack Overflow, though. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's just as is a native English speaker who like writes in English for a living. The idea that I would have an encyclopedic definition of all words and terms in English is ridiculous. I'm not a human dictionary and similarly like software engineers are not small computers with fingers that just like block code out into a text editor. Like they also don't know what they're doing. I don't know where we got this idea that we should just like once once you have achieved a job title. Do everything. You must be an expert in all of it. It feels really like self-defeating to think that. Yeah, probably. Okay, you learned all of your technical knowledge with a few of these courses for writing specifically in terms of like business slash technical writing. And then I guess like on the job as well as you go. Okay, okay, so there's hope for me. I don't need to be I don't need to be an engineer to be able to become a technical writer. No, not at all. Okay, great. I'm I'm absolutely not a software engineer. Yeah, okay, exciting. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, what happens then when you're hired for a role and you it's like too much technical knowledge for you? Have you encountered that scenario? Yeah. What they're asking you to write about is too technical for you? Yeah, I think that's happened before. I think, I mean, doing a certain amount of my own research has always been important. I remember the first time I wrote like networking documentation, for example, I was just like, mm-hmm. I have no idea what these diagrams mean. I have no idea what these components are called. Like somebody is talking about this thing over here called a proxy. I don't know what a proxy is. I don't know what it does. And a lot of, there are many people in tech who just take joy from it, like explaining and writing about tech. And so there are are a lot of resources online that can help you understand basic stuff like that. But really, I think it's, uh, you don't have to be an expert in something to write good documentation about it. You just have to be able to ask effective questions and asking the right questions for a piece of docs is that's a skill that you just build over time yeah because it's about what determines what is the right question is really about what does the audience need to know in order to get something done or to understand something and that is just a that's just a that's just like a skill that you build yeah what that is 
Okay, great. And I think that's like really good knowledge for our contributors as well. Just build off of that because of what you said, you don't need to necessarily be an expert in the subject that you're writing on, but you need to be able to write on, write, write well and articulate your point on it. Because yeah, I think because Hacker Noon Essence is a platform where anyone can write, yeah, you don't need to be an expert per se, but you just need to be able to gather the correct knowledge, the correct sources, and be able to actually write. A lot of times, like, even my imposter syndrome will hold me back from writing sometimes, too. We, we have something called slogging, which is Slack and blogging. And so you can make a Slack thread, and we're, we're doing a, an AMA channel in there where you can host an AMA, ask me anything about something. And I was like, oh my god, I don't even know what I would AMA about. I don't know anything about anything. So it's just like, like, yeah, I but I probably could AMA about a lot of things. <laughs> so, yeah, I think like building the confidence and like being able to just be like, yeah, I can write about these technical subjects. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think that there's so I think that there's I, I think that we're actually talking about two things, right? Mm. There's the way that you perceive your own ignorance, which is, you know, and, and I'm saying you here like universally. I'm not speaking to you yeah. specifically, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, but there's the way that you perceive your own ignorance, which can be like really self-defeating. It can be imposter syndrome. It can be a sense of like, like disqualifying yourself from being in a conversation. It can be a lack of confidence mm -hmm. that I think like people from certain groups suffer from less of this than people from other groups. But, and then there is like the actual, like the factual reality of your level of knowledge. First of all, like for me, if I weren't so freaked out about not knowing anything, probably I would be able to like deduce and figure out a lot more than I let myself do. Like imposter syndrome holds me back by making me anxious about my own qualifications. And if I can like, turn the anxiety down, then usually I can figure out a problem on my own because I have a brain and it works. But also, oh, where was I going to go with that? It was going to be great. With technical writing in particular, I think you really have to learn to celebrate your own ignorance about something in a way that like, imposter syndrome can't thrive when you look with enthusiasm at your ignorance and say, yeah, I don't know anything about that. And I want to learn about it. Mm. Cool. Like you have to really like happily put yourself in this beginner's mind place because when you are allowing yourself to admit that you are just ignorant about something, it means that you are about to learn. And it means that through that learning process, you are going to write better docs and help more people by being able to explain things sort of from the ground up. So if you can overcome the self-judgment of imposter syndrome, your work is gonna be better as a technical writer because yeah, it's just ignorance is, ignorance is exciting after a certain mm -hmm. point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Okay, so what kind of advice would you give to someone who is looking to become a technical writer? Don't work for- No, honestly, that's such a good one because I think as you start and like you said, like people will try and throw you like a low ball wage or whatever. Yeah, I think that's yeah, actually like, such a good I'm point. Like, look at you like women and people of color don't work for free. Start every procedural step with a verb. That's, that is like the, the, the basic technical writing precept. Mm -hmm. Every step starts with a verb. I don't know. Oh my. Oh my. I might be at that place in my career where I can't give entry level technical writing advice anymore. That would be really sad. I'm like, don't get silent. <laughs> like somebody who's just at college doesn't know. No, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. It's going to be fine. Take 25% of the words out of everything that you write. Ooh, that's, that's, how, that's a, how you get started. Whoa. You can do it, especially okay. if you just graduated college and you, you are like deeply steeped in academic writing. You're saying too much. Say less. Fewer words. Yeah. Yeah. I actually. 
absolutely agree. I wish that I could cut down like 25% of a lot of writing. And you, um, people write so convoluted too. Yeah, and then if the you thing, come with like, a mindset of cutting down a quarter of your work, then you cut out all of the convoluted shit. Yeah, we teach a lot of, I think, really writing practices that are detrimental to good technical content in that we like set people limits of like page numbers, right? Write me a, write me a 10 page essay, write me 750 mm -hmm. words on this topic. And it's just, I, if I am counting the number of words and your essay is boring and it fails. And it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And so take 25% of the words out of everything that you write. And also mm -hmm. if you get to a sentence that you cannot make it cannot make it any shorter, probably you could rephrase the sentence and make it shorter anyway, or make it two sentences. Ooh, yeah, love yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, Sarah, thank you so much for joining the podcast. If we want to find you online, where can we look? Sure. I'm on LinkedIn. It's just linkedin.com slash in slash Sarah Day with an H. Um, and I'm on Twitter at scribblingfox, one word. And uh, oh, I have a website. It's a uh, it's mixed technical writing and fiction writing, which I also do. But it's sarahday.org. Lovely. All right. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you. Yay. If you like this podcast, don't forget to like it, share it, subscribe it, do all of the things. And this episode was hosted by me, Amy Tom. It was produced by Hacker Noon and edited by our lovely audio wizard, Alex. Thanks so much for listening and stay weird. I'll see you on the internet. Goodbye.